Welcome to the Hashtag Call to Scene podcast, the show focused on the strategic disruption of the status quo in technical organizations, communities, and events. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of Hashtag Call to Scene podcast. I'm so happy to have someone I met last year at PeersConf, Garrett Diamond. Um, could you please introduce yourself to the audience, Garrett? Um, hi, so I'm Garrett Diamond. Uh, I've been in the software world for about 20 years now, making sites, playing different roles, um, getting involved in all sorts of aspects. Um, about 10 years ago, I built my own company and uh, a SaaS application. And about eight years in, had medical issues that ultimately led to a left below knee amputation. And around that time, just the, you know, process of dealing with that, recovering, uh, all of that and running a business, I decided to sell the business uh, so I could focus more on recovery, family, all that, working fewer hours, not putting so much pressure on myself, focusing on health, that kind of thing. Uh, And now I work for a great company and uh, doing more or less the same thing, just in a much lower stress role with uh, surrounded by a great bunch of people. Yeah. Um, Wild Bit is where you work. And um, one of your owners, Natalie, was the first guest on my last podcast that I used to do, um, Community Engineering Report. And I wanted her to be my first guest based on her talk at PeersConf about inclusion. And at that time, I wasn't even really in, I was just starting to have these kind of conversations. And so you've been following me and follow my trajectory a year later. And so I'm happy to have you on. And before we get into the meat of it, I like to start every conversation with two questions. Why is it important to cause a scene? And then how are you specifically causing a scene? So to me, the importance of it all is just simply, I mean, I guess there's layers to it uh, as with anything, but I feel like a lot of it is simply a lack of awareness, um, not a explicit lack of awareness, um, but especially I grew up very privileged, probably not the most privileged person in the world, but certainly privileged by any measure. Um, parents were able to move to get me in the right schools, able to live at home while I went to college. Um, just kind of the stars aligned in large part because of that privilege. Grew up completely ignorant of it. Uh, just wasn't aware of it. You don't see it because it just is what it is. Um, and then getting older, uh, working more in the industry, being around more people, going out of my way to expose myself to different points of view. And a lot of that just kind of started to snowball. Uh, and then when I lost my leg and A, had a lot of downtime to sit and think, um, and B, had a totally new perspective dealing with uh, disability, but really hardly being affected by it relative to many other disabilities, but nonetheless getting me thinking about it more and more. Um, whereas previously, the extent of that kind of thought was around web accessibility, right? Making sure that websites are accessible. Um, so there's always some interest there, and just all this stuff and all of my experiences started to snowball and open my eyes more and make me think more. 
And it's one of those things where it's kind of like, uh, you know, you, the, the, digger, the, the, the deeper you dig, the more you start to uncover and realize um, kind of just how far the rabbit hole goes and start to really understand the context, the history, everything that's kind of led us to where we are. And there's just so much room for improvement, um, you know, whether it's underrepresented individuals in tech or even far beyond that, just generating awareness for people like myself who didn't, weren't malicious about it. It's just a blind spot uh, because you grow up in a different world and you're not exposed to it. And so I feel like there's room to increase awareness about that and help people have that different perspective, a little more empathy. Uh, so when people hear things, they don't immediately say, yeah, but instead it's, wow, okay, that's really interesting and start to process it more instead of just outright dismissing things. Uh, and, and, you know, it's, you could probably talk forever about it, but I just feel like there's a lot of potential there to make a really, really big difference and help kind of set the people, everybody, all of us on a better trajectory and make things better, period. Wow, that was good. That was, and, and that's not saying good as to grade it, but there was a lot there that we'll get to unpack um, in our time together. So tell me, how are you causing a scene? For me, it's a lot of just little things. Obviously, I've, I've been really excited to support your work. Your talk at Peers was, you know, still sticks with me today. It was about mentorship, um, but there's a lot of facets of mentorship that I think um, that it's related. A lot of it, it's, it's how you interact with other people, how you empathize with their context and understand where they're coming from to be helpful instead of dismissive or condescending or what have you. Um, and that kind of was the right talk at the right moment to really kind of, again, everything just kind of aligned. I kind of started putting things together in my head, making more sense of it. And so supporting you has obviously been one small tangible way. Um, but still a lot of it is every day I'm kind of wondering what else can I do? Um, one of the things, um, in my own life, obviously I'm affected by amputation, disability. I've met a ton of amputees, um, a ton of other people with disabilities. And one of the things I'm working on now uh, with my wife is to figure out how we can help people with disabilities become more active. Um, so we're starting a nonprofit there focused on people with disabilities, not just amputation, but any kind, we really, ultimately any disabilities. We're starting with amputation because that's what's near and dear to us and we understand it. Um, but we're looking into other things as well. One of my best friends has MS. Um, and so how he deals with things and how workplaces can be more accommodating to people with disabilities. Um, while that was one of the reasons I went to WildBit um, was specifically because I knew it was a place where I'd be supported going through what I was going through, regardless that there wouldn't be any kind of odd pressure to get back to work or, or anything. If anything, I was telling Natalie, I'll be back to work in a week. And she was laughing at me saying, mm -hmm. whatever, no, you're not. Mm -hmm. um, and so, I mean, a lot of it's just being in the tech industry, obviously, there's a small role to play or that I can play in broadening awareness there because the tech industry is notoriously blind to all of this, um, notoriously bad about it. So, you know, in all honesty, I'm still kind of finding my way in terms of how to best leverage that. Um, still learning, paying attention, kind of soaking it in, looking for opportunities where I can provide assistance, support, 
whatever because of the benefits I've been able to uh, garner through my career, the insights, and you know, just do what I can where I can and look for opportunities to do more pretty much all the time. So it's just funny because I've, um, I've been traveling a lot. So today I've done four interviews. <laughs> Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. You're exhausted. uh, Yes, (laughs) Even one, you know, it takes a lot. Exactly. Um, And thankfully, one had to be rescheduled because he's sick. Um, But, um, and three of those interviews, and again, one was canceled, are, um, three of you guys are from the League of White Men. Okay. And so, um, I want to explain what your thoughts of, what the League of White Men is and why you joined it. So let me think back to kind of my real thoughts that were going through my head when you first mentioned it. I think, you know, in all honesty, it was simply everything Kim has done, I think has been awesome. Whatever she's up to, if I can help, I want to. And it was really that simple. So it was, it was, it was at that point, just a lot of faith in you seeing what you had done the things you said, the things you championed and feeling like I'm on board with this. I want to help. This looks like, you know, like I said, I've kind of been looking for opportunities. Where can I help? Where can I, you know, lend whatever I have, whatever benefits I've earned mm-hmm. to, to help out. And in your case, it would just seem like a, I can give her whatever she needs and help out however. And that was kind of that. It was just as simple as here's an opportunity to help. I should jump on this. It's been interesting because, um, again, I brought up the four conversations that I had because two of the conversations today have been with women of color um, and then two have been with white guys who are in the league. And these have been very different energies um, because when I've been speaking to my sisters, it's that, that peer that it's a laid back, lot of cursing, just, just, you know, a lot of yeah, guilting, yeah. Lot, because you don't get that. It's, 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 you know, you get that, that camaraderie that, ah, you know. Well, and it's the shared experience and the yeah. shared frustrations. Yes. Whereas I want to help, but I don't have that to yes. totally relate to. I can imagine, but that projection is never going to be anywhere near. But the conversations I've had with the, both of you today, it's, t- it's a totally different energy. And it speaks to, and I want to bring this up because I'm sure if people listen to the various episodes, I am may seem to be inconsistent, but I'm very not because I'm very transparent and my energy is just what it is. Yeah. And people would, you know, I get my trolls. I have been, there's a conversation going on right now where people are just arguing about the fact that racism can has to include a power element for it to be racist racism and that because people of color in the United States do not have that systemic power element they cannot be racist although they can be prejudiced and hateful and all these other things so there's this conversation i just i gave up on it yesterday and they and and that's just like whatever but what i it brings to mind is and it goes back to what you were talking about in the beginning Yes, I have those common, those common shared um, conversations and, and, and can really be, you know, display that side of me, but we're all multidimensional. 
and having these conversations with white guys has been interesting because when I look at my Twitter analytics, I have 57% of my following are white men. And people are like, what? And 25% of them have labeled themselves conservatives. And yeah, and I and I say that because um, I want to be clear. I do not hate white people. I don't. (laughs) Right. I don't trust you a lot of the times, but there's historic precedent why I shouldn't. That's Um, fair. Yeah. And in in any relationship, I've learned that a demonstration of behavior is way more important to me than what someone says, um, what their intentions are. And that's why strategy is important to me. But I, I, I like you guys being on here because it speaks, you can speak to a, a, a people that I can't speak to because you have a shared experience with them that I don't have. And there's something about what I say, even when I say in all caps, privilege, in all caps, white women's tears, in all caps, you're not doing enough, that you continue to listen and that you continue to amplify my voice that I would like if you can, if you can articulate that so that people like yourself could understand that this isn't about hating white people. Um, It's about, I'm not even going to say what I think it's about. You tell me what it's about. In terms of, so what's your specific question? The specific question is, if your friends, quote, air quotes, heard a series of my podcast episodes, they would be like, she's, what the fuck is her problem? You know? (laughs) Okay. And I would like you in your own way to say, to try to articulate what the fuck is my problem? (laughs) So, I mean, to me, the unfortunate, I think, default assumption for most people is, and, and, and it's human nature, right? People build stereotypes to shorten the amount of effort they have to put into decision making. So from the standpoint of, people being people, it's much easier to stereotype you into whatever standard stereotype they have in their head, whether that's the angry black woman or whatever. It's easier to just lump you into that than it is to take the time and break down and unpack where you're coming from, why, you're, why you are frustrated. Because that's the other thing. It's like, to me, if you're angry, instead of saying, oh, she's angry, that's ridiculous. It's, man, what is she angry about? Why is she angry? Right? And, and it's easier to stereotype than it is to unpack that. Mm-hmm. And well, that's the biggest point. thing is, and, and it kind of goes back to uh, your default, instead of when somebody says something that you don't like or that makes you uncomfortable, instead of immediately saying, yeah, but, or trying to find a way to disarm a statement or dismiss it, say, wow, okay, let me think about that. You know, instead of, because it is, it's, it is a little bit of hard work and it is uncomfortable when somebody says something that either goes against what you thought you believed 
and to spend the time to try to understand it from their perspective, right? So there's a lot of empathy involved, a lot of context, a lot of, you know, walk a mile in their shoes. Now, that's easier said than done, obviously. And even now, like, I feel like I'm just starting to touch on the cusp of understanding um, some of this, because a lot of this is, you know, it's just history, right? This goes back hundreds of years, and there's a lot of built up just experiences that I could never even come close to fathoming. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I can at least say, if they're mad, instead of they're being irrational, I can say, you know, if they're mad, that mad or that mad, there's a reason for it. I should try to figure out what that reason is and understand that better. And, you know, this doesn't just go for, say, you. This goes for anything, any culture, right? Every culture is different, right? Where, I'm not going to be able to think of any examples off the top of my head, but, you know, one culture's facial expression, the same facial expression may have two very subtly different meanings mm-hmm. or accepted, um, like smiles are universal. That's great. But every culture has subtly different facial cues mm-hmm. that people interpret differently. And so two people from two different cultures can completely misinterpret a facial expression through no fault of their own, just because it means different things. And I feel like it's one of those things where when you don't have an experience, instead of just defaulting to assuming something about, you know, it's just simple assumptions, right? Assumptions aren't very good for anything. Um, instead of making an assumption, spend a little time, even if it's just 30 seconds, to try and unpack it and understand where that person's coming from instead of saying, this makes me uncomfortable. How, how can I tear it apart? And to me, that's it. Because there's a lot of stuff you say that I'm like, wow, that, that's... And then I'm like, wait a minute. And I start trying to think about it. And it really, it's not always easy. Um, but it, the more I do it, the more it's really, really enlightening and helps out, I guess. is the. Does that help? Answer? Does that yeah. give you the context? No, that, no, that exact that. Thank you. I'm not. Look, there's no right answer. I just wanted to know again because you're speaking to an experience that I don't have that privilege does have, and um, it it's it's privilege and particularly white liberals who are in the way, who are who are the bottleneck on this. Um, one of the conversations I had today, and it's interesting because I don't understand why my telling my story, my experience is such a threat, um, particularly for white women, that it gets to a point where they want to shut us down at any means necessary. And, and, and that is what's harmful. That is where, okay, now we've, we've gone beyond <laughs> Um, you don't like what I'm saying. We've gone beyond you're uncomfortable. Now you are taking steps to actively shut me up and you're doing it via um, police, via my HR, via all these things that you leverage traditionally, have been using traditionally to silence uh, marginalized individuals. And the, the friction that's happening now is because we have access to the same platforms and the mic that we never had before. In the past, privileges only had the mic. Mm-hmm. And so their messaging has been the only messaging that's out there. Their expertise on things, even describing my experience, has been the only 
side of the story that's been told. And um, I know that there's a lot of things that I say that that um, rub people the wrong way. And it's so funny because, again, like you said, you met me and I was talking about mentoring. And how this morphed into this thing <laughs> has been me trying to figure out my way because it was never a strategy of mine to, to, to be in this space. But the more I focused on business, um, cause I'd never wanted to be inclusion and diversity pe- person cause no one's paying for that. That that's just, it sounds great, but no one's really committed to putting resources about around it. But the more I focused on how to help business leaders build businesses that work in the information age, it became, okay, well, you need other people at the table besides white folks because you can't create products and services for a global market. But, but that's, that's step one, but that's easier said than done because one, they come and they leave or you have no way to recruit them because of all these other things that you're not even aware of. And just from a business standpoint, you're leaving money on the table. You're creating products that are harming other people. All these things that we need to talk about, and that just kind of led me here. And so um, it's been an interesting journey um, because I, 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 I tell people, I'm like, do you think this is, this is fun? Uh, do you think this is what I plan to be doing going into my 50s? No, but I can't do the work of helping businesses be the places that they need to be in an information age, because we're not in the industrial age anymore. And we need to stop acting like we're building widgets. We're not. We need to be creating knowledge. And if we're talking about knowledge, we need to be creating knowledge from various perspectives for it to be valuable. And you cannot do that if we're not talking about inclusion and diversity. And one of the major barriers of that is, it's like this, 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 this onion. So you talk about business and you talk about inclusion and diversity and then you talk about why are they staying and then you talk about privilege and then you talk about racism and you're like whoa how did I even get here yeah um and I can see where people are just like wait a minute Kim you were just or we were just talking about hiring practices how do we get (laughs) to racism because it's it, it in particularly in the United States it touches everything Mm-hmm. And I'm still unpacking all of that. Yeah. I'm, it's like, it blows my mind. And I can tell you, I'm happy that you've said several times that you're still learning because one of the things that I find that people keep using, and I'm going to call it as an, as an excuse is, I don't know enough. I do, it's like, okay, come on. You can learn and you can start with the people who are next to you. I don't need you speaking for me, but there are some white people who are right next to you who are standing in the way of this. Those are the people you can talk to. Mm-hmm. And, I, it, and, and it's like, let's stop looking for simple solutions to these complex problems. Start at home and work your way out because the more you learn, the more you can provide it's- context. You know, it's probably not the ideal analogy, but it's a lot like building or shipping anything, right? Everybody wants to wait until it's perfect before they ship anything or do anything or take action. But there's always a smaller chunk of work you can do that does not require 
perfection. It doesn't require the world's biggest megaphone. There's always something you can do on some level, but it's so difficult to, when you're thinking bigger, you're thinking ambitious, you're like, I want to, and it's, it's a, the Silicon Valley, I want to change the world. Yeah. I'm either going to change the world or I'm going to do nothing. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Come on, like, yeah. let's be honest here. Like, change something first, right? Like, there's a lot of room for those kind of small steps. You work your way up, right? You don't immediately decide, wake up tomorrow morning and decide you're going to reach 10 million people or, you know, something. You've got to start somewhere. And the danger that we're seeing, though, with that all or nothing is having that white male perspective of changing the world is now harming us because you have not considered anybody else because you can't, you don't have that perspective. And because you don't believe in the incremental, you go all in and then you're like, oh shit, what did I just do? Yeah. Well, it feels like that's the case with so many things that are overly ambitious, not in a purely ambitious sense, but they launch too big right away without the considerations, without the insights and completely miss the target. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and this is why so many other things I do, I call them experiments because I'm just trying to see like the conferences. I just want to see if people will pay to go. I mean, that's all mm-hmm. I wanted to see because there's been so many conferences out here who've had the similar kind of target and have gone under because they couldn't find funding and all these other things. And so I wanted to, let's start small. I don't need, 100 people, 30 people in in one of the um, hosted by a member of the League of White Men in his office. That works for me. Um, And 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 keep growing and and seeing that thing and see how that works. Um, You're that that's such a big thing because everybody's we're making this up as we go. No one's ever tackled some of the a lot of these issues we've never talked about. We this is such new territory. We have never talked publicly, openly about a lot of these issues. So a lot of people are uncomfortable, including myself. And so that's one of the things I wanted to talk about. So as I was moving into this, it was so interesting because I would say, oh, they, I could, I said that and I didn't get much pushback. Hmm. Let me see if I can say this. (laughs) Oh, okay. That okay, they said that wasn't bad though. Okay, so let me move the envelope, the, the line a little further. And by the time I launched hashtag cause the scene, and that was um official launch was on um International Women's Day when my talk was why aren't all women making gains in tech? At that point, I had pushed the envelope for because that was in March, starting in January, pushed the envelope of creating content and seeing what people would say. Um, all these things, just to, and like what, and it really told me, showed me as well that people were ready. Although this is very uncomfortable, people are ready to to take on this challenge. Um, and and I know it's the educator in me that I am able to have a level of empathy and patience when when I'm treated respectfully um, mm-hmm. with individuals. And I also have a very good skill of breaking down very complex topics into very small, readable, understandable chunks. And that's just because of the skill set that I've developed over almost 50 years. And so, um, and, and I'm going to say almost 50 years because I was doing, although 
I was not an adult. I was the only in many white circles growing up in Georgia. Um, so I've been navigating the white world, unlike many of my peers when I was growing up. Um, so I've, I've had that experience. But then when you take that into account with all the professional experience I have, I come with a very unique perspective. And for me, it's like outrage is, is reactive. Let's, let's talk about strategy so we can be proactive on this. And the more we get individuals a privilege to take, not just talk about what they're going to do, but start taking incremental action is when we move the needle on these things. Because you're absolutely right. I have 4,000 people who follow me. The majority of people think I'm an angry black woman. It's going to take a vast amount of white individuals to spread the message that I can't because I'm not a part of your networks to get these things, to get hashtag cause a scene to really move in a way to make an impact in the tech space. Yeah. Everyone in the hashtag call the scene community shares the same common beliefs based on a set of four specific guiding principles. One, tech is not neutral, nor is it apolitical. Two, intention without strategy is chaos. Three, lack of inclusion is a risk and increasingly a crisis management issue. And lastly, but most importantly, four, we must prioritize the most vulnerable. To find out more about the guiding principles and adding them to your Twitter profile banner, please visit hashtag causeascene.com. Tell me, because I, I really want to, we've never talked really, uh, your talk was about being an amputee, but we've never talked about that. And, and you made a point that's interesting because you, although you are an amputee, because you have privilege, You've had a different experience as an amputee than other people have. So mm-hmm. talk, talk about that. Yeah. Uh, so going through it, um, and I guess for context, the amputation happened about two years ago. The surgeries before that and doctor's appointments and physical therapy and all of that lasted about three years before that amputation. So I had about three years leading up to amputation um, where I was running my business going to physical therapy, doctor's appointments all over the place. Um, and so I was so deep into dealing with my own stuff that, you know, I thought about a lot, but at the same time, every day was consumed by this appointment, that appointment, trying to schedule an appointment, getting, you know, or spending time in the hospital and ICU or whatever after surgeries. Um, and during which there was, there's a three month period where I had eight surgeries and was in and out of the hospital and, you know, painkillers, just a complete mess. Um, so I didn't think about it. But after the fact, um, kind of as all this stuff was snowballing, I started thinking about it and thinking about I had um, a wife who didn't have to work because my business pretty much made money automatically. Both sets of our parents um, were right around the corner from us and could help out with the kids, um, help us out. Um, Financially, we had decent enough insurance that it wasn't going to bankrupt us. Um, Work-wise, I had a job that didn't require me to be on my feet, right? I could sit in a chair and do my job and make a living. If I had a job that required me being on my feet, then who knows how that would have played out. 
Um, I didn't need disability insurance because with SaaS and recurring revenue, even though growth slowed a little bit, the money still kept coming in, even though I was working maybe 10 hours a week mm-hmm. or six months. And so financially we weren't. And so like all these things after the fact, and I had two friends who were both surgeons that I could literally call or text anytime and ask questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, one of which was, one, was a cousin and one of which was my best friend's brother. And um, all these little things that in hindsight, you look back and you're like, how many people had all of, would have all of those benefits and thus be able to effectively, I feel like I cruised through, I mean, amputation is not easy, but in the context of all the people in the world who've had amputations, um, I look back and it's like, how many people actually had that experience where it was, as far as amputation goes, a cakewalk. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There was at no point where, um, you know, it was, of huge drain on us. I mean, obviously it's expensive, but like it was never a life changing. We're going to have to sell the house mm-hmm. or we have to decide whether I can do this or, you know, it was simply, we feel like if I amputate, I'm going to be able to, I mean, at the simplest level, play with the girls, run mm-hmm. with the girls, go bike riding um, as they grow up. And that was kind of our only thing that we really had to consider. And that's not the case for most people. And so when I look back at that in hindsight, I'm like, okay, why isn't that the case for most people? I mean, right? We'll leave the U.S. healthcare system out of this, but it's, it's complicated. It's not simple, right? Mm-hmm. There's everything and it, it, it all plays together, rolls into it from employment to family, you know, people who grew up and didn't have a stable family um, for whatever reason, not their fault, mm-hmm. right? If you're a kid and you're, it's just, it's not your fault. You don't have a job that requires you not to be on your feet, right? Any, there's so many careers, even well-paying careers that require you to be on your feet and mm-hmm. make that difficult. Um, just all those things. And I look back at it and I'm like, wow, I had it easy. Other people have it nowhere near this easy. And a lot of that's why Lauren and I now are like, all right, let's start this nonprofit. Let's focus on putting information out there to help amputees. So a lot of it is... Um, we're still kind of ironing out values, but like one of the deep things for me is accessibility. And that's so like technical accessibility so that somebody who's lost an arm or fingers and has a hard time typing, want to think through those kind of things and how can we help them? Geographic accessibility, right? Not everybody can easily travel. A lot of people are rural and they can't get to a good surgeon or doctor. So what can, what advice can we give them to help them? Are there grants, scholarships? What kind of financial assistance can we help them find that they otherwise may not be aware of or may not even know to look for. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, financial accessibility plays out of that, which is a lot of people simply don't have the, finance, the finances to get a new leg every three years. Because even though insurance helps, it's still a significant cost. Mm-hmm. So, right, so how, do, how can you help people find resources and tools? Maybe it's a 10 steps to create a GoFundMe for your new leg, right? Or mm-hmm. I have no idea. We're still, you know, it's all an idea. but there's got to be a way to help people um, be more aware of the resources that are available to them, help them understand. Um, a lot of things are, there's like, if you have issues with your residual limb, there's expensive solutions and then there's affordable solutions. And oftentimes there's not a huge gap between the two. And so helping people understand like, here's something that you can use to, um, you know, fix your leg, um, 
you know, or things to think through, like don't wear it for a week. That sucks and it's hard, but compared to um, surgery or other things, it may not be that terrible of an option. Um, mm-hmm. Wheelchairs, knee scooters, um, there's so many uh, mobility devices that people aren't aware of. And a lot of times insurance uh, will help pay for those. And so how do we help people just who are amputees stay active, get active? And to me, whether active, active could simply be, I want to walk 2000 steps a day mm-hmm. for my own health, or I want to go grocery shopping without a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. That's active, right? Mm-hmm. Or it could be somebody who's like, I'm going to be a Paralympian. Mm-hmm. Great. There's a whole spectrum there. Everybody's context is different. Everybody's background is different. Everybody's situation is different. And I feel like we can do more to pull that information together into resources that um, make it more accessible for everybody. And, and it's even within amputees, and this is a whole tangent. I won't go too far off one, I promise. Left leg, right leg is a difference. Above knee, below knee is a difference. Mm-hmm. One leg, two legs, one leg, one arm, mm-hmm. right? All these combinations of things affect day-to-day things like driving, um, you know, even, even your ability to get out of bed. What do you have to do to get out of bed? To go to the bathroom, yeah. to answer the door, to get off the couch and go answer a doorbell. Um, you know, all this stuff, it all, it, it gets complicated and it all varies entirely depending on your situation, your context. But the information out there doesn't take that context into, hand, into consideration. And so using technology, we can build it in a way that here's a whole bunch of information, Wikipedia style. You can filter it based on I'm this age, I have these goals, um, I'm a left leg below knee amputee, um, you know, that kind of stuff. And it can help you and say, here's the information that's immediately relevant to you. Mm-hmm. Here's financial assistance, here's local volunteer groups, here's you know, all that stuff and help people get past that. And then they are in a situation where they're not tied down by being an amputee and able to do more of whatever it is they want to do. And to me, that kind of thing is just, that gets me excited now. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and thank you for sharing that, that, I don't even want to call it a story, that just illustration, because it's one of the reasons why I don't define privilege as white people because privilege to me is equals access. It doesn't matter where you, so I have access that because my mom exposed me to white people early and all these different things. So I have my privilege is that I'm not nervous around, you know, all these other things. I've always been the person who could talk to the president as easily as I can talk to anybody else um, because I've had to develop that because I was the only so much. So I have privilege in that. And the fact that even in the space of amputees, you had so much privilege and recognize that because of family being right there, because I can just think about right now, if something had, my mom lives an hour away. If something happened to my mother, we would be really struggling because she is struggling as a black, uh, a, a, um, a senior citizen, black woman in the United States who worked all her life, but just does not, was not because this, and this, oh my God, this gets back to the whole racism and the systemic thing, because as hard as she worked, she could never amass enough to retire comfortably. Mm-hmm. She was never able to do that. So if mm-hmm. something happens to her, 
that burden falls on me. And I'm currently really not in a position to even deal with any of that. So all the things that it just really just highlighted what privilege is, because while you were going through this extremely could have been more traumatic system um, process, rather, you had safeguards in place. And many of those safeguards come Mm -hmm. from the fact that you had privilege in all different kinds of ways, not just being a white dude. I mean, you had all kinds of of all of those ways. If you break it down, my direct influence at acquiring those privileges at most 20%, 80% of that was borderline handed to me. And that's what, and that's, I'm so happy you brought that up because that's what people don't understand when I, when we say unearned privilege, they want to say, but I worked, but it's like, we're not negating how hard you work, but there are people out here who are working just as hard or most of them harder. When you look at immigrants who are working two and three jobs just Mm -hmm. to make minimum wage. And I recognize that as we're having this call, I have high speed internet. I live in a house that when my father passed away, I inherited. I inherited his car. That's one of the main reasons I could do this business or grow and, 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 and figure this thing out over the last four years. Because when he made his transition, he left me in a space where I was not. I've had some financial challenges, but I don't have that. And also, although my I don't have both parents or both sets of parents or whatever. I know that if I stay wherever I am in the world, I can always come home to somebody and have a place to stay and to put something to eat. Now that is, I know is recognized as my privilege. Yeah. And so it's, it's having, and I'm so happy you said that because it does not, it's not about the individual when we're talking about these things. And that's why we have to talk about it from the system, system institutional level. So when we're talking about um, underrepresented and marginalized, we're not saying particularly marginalized. We're not, I'm not saying you have not had challenges in your life. What we're saying, what I'm saying is, even with those challenges you've had, as you said, any benefits you've gained in life are probably 20% of your effort. Yeah, and so the the clarification there is direct effort, right? So like- I went to school and I worked hard, but how did I get to college? Well, my parents had the wherewithal and the, the resources to move us to a, a better school district mm-hmm. to where I could get a better education, prepare myself better for college, have that opportunity to go to college and then land a, co- a scholarship to college. Sure, I got good grades, but had all the other stars not aligned, those stars might not have aligned, mm-hmm. right? Or... Choosing computer science, being at a school that offered a computer science program. And thus, I could make a bet that computers were a safe career move. And, right, like, I didn't, I didn't know what I was choosing when I was 18, right? I just, and most people don't. <laughs> I just chose because I was like, this seems good. Um, and I liked playing around on computers. Mm-hmm. Um, Again, because I grew up with a computer in the house and had exposure to computers where I had time to sit around and play on computers and develop that affinity. Um, Whereas plenty of people by same age grew up with no computers, didn't have that opportunity. I didn't earn that computer. (laughs) My parents bought that computer. Um, You know, living in 
um, a house with both parents, growing up with both parents. Um, they both worked, but at the same time, they both always had time for me. I was an only child. Yeah. I had no competition for attention. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's just all those little things add up in their own subtle little ways and snowball and have that impact that unless you really try to unpack it and like really deconstruct how you got where you are, you don't see it. It's just, you're like, yeah, I, I, I can look at it and say, I worked hard in high school. I worked hard in college. Um, I worked all through college, um, you know, at some points working a couple jobs. So sure, I worked, but then you look at it like none of my jobs were hard. I've mm-hmm. always been sitting at a computer, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, and it's just, there's so many layers to it and it's so easy to turn a blind eye to it. But when you really start looking at it, it's like, wow, I worked hard, but I was in a position to work hard and have that hard work be multiplied instead yeah, of Yeah, I was about to say, your hard work was leverage. It was leverage in yeah. a way. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's the whole thing. No one's negating your experiences. It's about other people are having different experiences. And that's my whole point about when people are trying to shut us up. It's like, I have the right to share my experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and only because I share my experience do you learn something? And then if we go and want to go back to purely economics, then you can create products and services that I, that benefit me and not your idea of what I want. And that's that mm-hmm. old industrial in, economy thinking where Procter & Gamble creates something and then they're going to create a market around it. They don't care if, if people, okay, we've never heard of this thing. So we're going to make this the best thing since sliced bread. Now, I have just as much access to information as Procter & Gamble, and I can say, no, that's not something I want. So I'm going to pass on that. Mm-hmm. And that's where people are missing out because they're not listening to the individual potential customer and client communities about how we're telling you how to market to us. We're, yeah. we're saying, hey, I have these dollars. These are the things I need. Well, that's one of the things I think, for better or worse, is one of the ways that I feel like some people are coming around understanding that diversity isn't just a feel good about who you're hiring thing so much as it is build a team of people who will challenge thinking so it's not this monotonous head nodding where everybody's willing to agree and ship some garbage product because nobody's challenging it because everybody in the room sitting around the table had the exact same experience growing up. And so you're all going to agree about everything versus there's value in disagreement, mm-hmm. right? Like it's more difficult. Sure. That's the point, right? You want people to challenge ideas and not just have everybody nod their head and be like, yeah, that sounds good. Let's do that. And when you start to help, when people start seeing it that way, people who otherwise are just completely self-interested, then they start saying, oh, I'm actually hurting myself by not hiring a wider range of people, background experiences to bring up some of these points that I'm completely ignorant to for whatever reason. And honestly, I don't care. You can come at it from a very self-interested because the reason I'm doing I need to be, I tell people all the time, I do this for me first because 
it is, I've never been felt so liberated in my life to be able to just be authentically me. And I recognize that I can do that in tech because the time now financially is necessary. If it was, if there were not a financial gain for privileged individuals in tech, we would not be having these conversations. It wouldn't be, they, they, we'd still be ignoring it. The reason we're I'm allowed to say what I'm, I'm, I'm able, I'm not, oh, let me take that back because it's not allowed. Um, well, I, I, yeah, it is. Because Embraced, I been, yeah. accepted. Yeah, because I would have been shut down. I would have been, I would have been ostracized. I would have all these other things. But the fact that when I talk about these things, I can make very good cases for, dude, you're hurting your business. I mean, this is the bottom line. Um, yeah. And we're not, you're not the ace hardware where your customers are in your neighborhood anymore. And it didn't matter. They could all be white supremacists. It didn't matter. But now you're creating products for a global market. And when you don't know Central America, and you're shipping stuff down there that can harm people, then we have a problem. Yeah. Um, so... Wow, this has been a very and I, I just I just love this show because I get so many, I love getting so many different perspectives. I am an an an, an 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 ongoing lifelong learner, and I just love, and that's why I guess some of this just challenges me mentally because I don't understand how people don't want to hear other people's stories. I just this is just something I learn so much. Um, even as an educator, I always was interested in my students' stories. And they helped me to be a better, better educator and a better yeah. role model for behavior, um, particularly when they were having challenges. I think it's tough for a lot of people because in a lot of cases, regardless how much privilege someone has, to them, the stuff they're dealing with is a huge weight because it's the biggest relative weight they've ever dealt with or been exposed to. And so for a lot of people... They are heads down dealing with their own stuff. And to them, it feels like this unbearable burden. And um, like I joke with my friend, never say this to other people, but I joke with my friends, like when they make a comment about like, oh, my foot hurts. And mm-hmm. I just kind of look at them like, oh, does it? Tell me about that. <laughs> and, but at the same time, like it's fair. It hurts for them, you know, to get up and walk. Like, and I feel like so many people just because of that blind spot, right? When you have problems and you're burdened with them, regardless of the relative burden. Mm -hmm. Um, It does feel like a ton of bricks and it is hard to look up and focus elsewhere. Like that takes active conscious effort to really try and do that. Exactly. And it's just hard. It's unnatural. It's not the way we think. Um, You know, we think about what's in front of us, right? Like humans are not great long-term planners. Like Mm -hmm. even the best long-term planners, we still are not great at it. And, you know, look at climate change, right? Like, Mm -hmm if anybody should be responding to something and taking action, but everybody's kind of, not everybody, but most people are kind of just, eh, you know, nobody's, uh, you know, doesn't light a fire because it's too long-term for people to to think about and comprehend. And so I don't think that's a good thing, but I think a lot of people are so heads down in their own issues that it is difficult to look up. Um, I, hopefully more people are starting to look up um, for better or worse. I, I think politics in the U.S. is opening people up a little bit to be more aware um, and less take a stable government for granted. Um, yeah, so, I tell people all the time, I could not have, I, I, it's not an endorsement of 
Donald Trump in any way or, but I could not, we could not, I could not be having this conversation as a black person without him being in office because when we tried to have these conversations, people kept saying, what are you talking about? There is no racism. What, what we dealt with that. We have 60s. a black president. Yeah. We dealt with right? that in the sixties. We're, we're, we got this right. We're perfect. I mean, we, we check again, like when you hire blacks or Hispanic and Latinx or whatever, and they, you know, I checked their box. I didn't change my culture, yeah. but I checked that box, you know, that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. And that has been a big challenge for people. And I, and I appreciate having someone like you on here because, again, I'm looking for the perspectives because I can't, hashtag Causacine can't be just about Kim. It has to be about a community movement. And it only will be a community movement if people feel safe to be a part of the community um, and feel that they're, their contributions matter. And although I have a very strategic way in which those contributions can be affected, how we bring our perspectives, I have no control over that. And, and this is, and I'm also always about, oh, you don't know how to do that? Let me show you how. And that's why I'm doing an inclusive conference. That's why I have a podcast. That's why I'm doing the things that I do because I'm so sick of people saying, I don't know how. Okay, well, let me show you how to do this. So you can't say you don't know how to do this. So for me, hashtag cause a scene community is how you build inclusive communities in tech and beyond. I want this to be a model for that. And so having a league of white men is the first, was that first step for me because I recognize that there are networks and, 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 and doors and, and, and buildings that I don't even know exist, let alone gain access to, that why should I, as a marginalized person, try to figure that out when there are people who already have that? Mm-hmm. And, and that's what that is. It's, it's marshalling everybody's unique perspective to come together and create something together that we can never create by ourselves. And that's why I do not like when people are, I don't do compromise. I believe in collaboration because compromise is by the time it's done, no one wants what's left. It's just, this is the stuff that nobody, you know, we could agree that we couldn't get rid of, but collaboration is everybody puts their cards on the table and you create something together that you could never have created alone because you have the different perspectives. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much for adding your perspectives. Is there anything else you want to say before we leave? I feel like we covered a ton of ground. Uh, I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't know that I could add any more to that. Uh, but thanks for having me on. This was definitely a lot of fun to have this conversation. Well, not just fun, but just, you know, just fun's the wrong word. Bone blank here, but you know what I mean. I <laughs> yeah. definitely enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I, I mean, that's what the point of being getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. Because as you said, some of the things I said made you uncomfortable, but had you not, sat with it, we couldn't have had a conversation like we had today yeah. where, where we can get be, it's, it's, and that's the whole point. It's, and it goes back to when you talk about people's heads down. If you look up, you can see beyond. And it's like, it, we'll never get through this until we get through this. There's yeah. something better on the other side. And that's why I advocate people getting uncomfortable because once you get uncomfortable, it's just like learning something new. When you learn to code, you didn't know, unless you are some, you know, phenom, you didn't know what a variable and all and a function and, 
and, cl- and, and classes and all that yeah. stuff was. And they're very frustrating trying to understand them. It still but now, is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But now you can create things, with them, you know? And again, and what you just said, it still is, talks to the fact that it's always, we're always learning. Doesn't end. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't end. And so this doesn't end. So we just need to figure out how we can get on the bo- on board and just start moving in, in the same direction. Yeah, couldn't agree more. So thank you so much, Garrett. I really thank appreciate you, Kim. that. You have been that silent support that <laughs> all of a sudden it's like it's like a whack-a-mole. You pop up and I'm like, where do you come from? And you'll say <laughs> something or you connect me with somebody and then you'll pop back down. And then a few months later, you'll I'm pop there. back up. And it's just like, where did Garrett come from again? You know, and it, I really appreciate that because again, I don't, there aren't many, I don't have peers um, in this thing. And this can be very overwhelming and daunting. And it feels good to know that although we don't have the same perspective and we don't have the same upbringing and, and I don't have the same kind of privilege that you have, we can still connect and you can find value in what we're doing. So thank yeah. you so much for everything you've done. Oh, of course, my pleasure. All right, have a great evening. Thanks, you too. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Hashtag Causing Podcast. And I'd like to thank all our current sponsors of the podcast and the Hashtag Causing Movement. Of course, we strongly encourage everyone to become an individual sponsor of the Hashtag Causing community. Just visit the website at HashtagCausing.com to sign up today. On behalf of everyone here at Hashtag Call the Scene, we'd like to thank you again for listening to today's show and have a wonderful day.